So today I am talking with Ted Knightsky, and Ted is the host of the Smart Thinking Podcast, where he provides free weekly leadership reflection content. He is an advocate for public education, continual learning, and community engagement. He's really able to live that out through his role as the mayor of Port Washington, as well as being the CEO of CESA 6, which is a nonprofit service agency that provides support to school systems. Essentially, what Ted does is he helps schools to maximize their success. Ted and I actually met through a mutual friend. And when I told this mutual friend that I wanted to start this podcast to have the conversation around success, he immediately referred me to Ted, which is a clear testament to the success of not only the Smart Thinking podcast, but really to who Ted is as a person. So, Ted, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me today. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm going I'm to have to make sure to uh, let my mom hear that introduction. That was very thoughtful and sweet. <laughs> Definitely. We'll tell her to listen to the podcast. Well, she'll get it. Yeah, awesome. So I just have to say, I'm so excited to talk with you because one of the main themes that I actually pulled when I interviewed people for my book was the idea of continual learning and the importance of that. Not only was that something that I learned through my book, but it's just something that's a vital pillar of success. So for me, it wasn't until my junior year of high school that I realized that I actually love to learn, that I actually love to read because before then, I would always interchange the terms learning with school. And because school was associated with tests and homework and just a lot of pressure, I thought that I didn't like it. And, you know, obviously that changed. Learning and reading is one of my favorite passions now. So I would love to know, where did your interest in continual learning really begin? Jim McMahon, the quarterback of the 1985 Chicago Bears Super Bowl championship team. And I was a junior in high school and I hated reading. I didn't care for school. School didn't really care for me either. And this wild character was the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. And uh, he came out with a, a biography and I went to the library and I checked it out. And for the first time, probably in my entire life, I read a book of more than a hundred pages without having to. And I was like, that was really cool. That's that's where it started. As soon as as soon as I figured out that you could grow on your own on what you enjoyed versus the compliance of school, I started taking off. I absolutely love that. I remember in middle school and most of high school, we would be assigned books and I would get the motivation. I'd say, you know what, this is this this is the time where I'm actually gonna read this book and get in one chapter, two chapters, and then all of a sudden I would just not want to read the book anymore, right? Like I would just get bored or something would happen and my motivation was lost regardless of where it started. And it's interesting because now I've kind of realized that I do love to learn and I do love to read. I just struggle with the compliance piece of it, having somebody else tell me what to read and, you know, overcoming that now and, and realizing that I can get excited about the things that I want to learn about. That's what's fun about people who who figure that out about learning, it's mindfulness of like, how can I improve myself through curiosity and grow? You don't learn how to have courage until you learn how to have courage. You don't learn how to problem solve until you learn how to problem solve. And while you can observe that in people, when you can, when you can have a manual, a book, something that gives you the examples using metaphors and, and those different pieces, you can really grow. I mean, I think that when you run into people, you know, over the course of your life who are constantly 
inquiring, learning, and growing. Those are fun people to be around. Definitely. And it's so cool to hear your story about how you've really come to that because as a public education and continual learning advocate through your personal life, but also being the CEO of CESA 6, it's interesting to see how that perspective has just changed for you. I'm curious if you would have never read that book about Jim McMahon, do you think that you would still even have the job that you have today? No way. Uh, the resiliency that I need mentally to be able to read the documents I have to read, the contracts, the laws, the bills, the the maturity to you know stay on task. If I had not fallen in love with the idea of dictating for myself what my interests were. There's no way when it would come to the compliance pieces, the boring stuff that I would ever have done that. I'm a better writer. I'm a better communicator. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be books. It's just being curious for you with your passion with this podcast and your book. Our job in our role now as leaders in, in supporting people's lifelong learning is to provide them resources and options. I think I shared with you on Thursdays, I come out every Thursday with something called TH3, Theodore's Three on Thursdays, a book you should be reading, music you should be listening to, something you should be watching. And it's always themed. So like this week, the book was about disability visibility. And then the video, the music video was the, the band Coldplay playing with the British Para Symphony. And then the story was about a Paralympian who overcame his own narratives in his mind that allowed him to then propel to get onto the Australian Paralympic basketball team. And here's something I learned. Paralympics and para symphonies. I always thought para stood for paralyzed. Nope. It stands for parallel. So a parallel symphony, a parallel Olympics. We're just as good of athletes. It's just a parallel Olympics. It's just a different type of Olympics. And I learned that yesterday. I must have told 50 people that. I'm like, did you know? Did you know? And that's the curiosity of lifelong learning. That is that that's exciting. I just really want to point out that value in the curiosity over the medium, right? Like I still honestly get very tired when I read. It's not really a physiologically exciting thing for me to do, which is why I at least try to structure it in a way that is a little bit easier to overcome that. So, for example, if that's reading in the mornings or taking taking short breaks or just scheduling it in a way that works better, not only consuming information, but also putting information out there. So like with you and your podcast, you didn't start your podcast because you just wanted to hear yourself talk. No, it was because somebody wanted to hear what you had to say. When I wrote my book, I didn't write a book just to write a book. I wanted to get that information for myself and then ultimately share that with other people. And I'm glad that you bring that point up because both in consuming and producing information, being able to value the curiosity and the value of the information before the medium. I'm glad that we're talking about this. I would love to hear any of your tips or strategies that you use to really overcome that. So my strategy that I learned about 12 years ago was vinyl records. A vinyl record is only 20 minutes long on one side. So you have to constantly get up and change the sides of the record, which suddenly kept me moving. So I would read for 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden, and then I'd have to go pick up the needle, flip the record over, play it again. When I used to stream music off of my phone or even CDs, a CD is a good 70 minutes, right? My phone is literally millions of hours of music. Well, as soon as I started playing records while I read, 
suddenly I found myself able to sit down for three hours, which I've never been able to do before, ever. And that was just like a little thing that I, I happened upon. And the second thing I think with books and, and time or reading and time is how you structure your reading and how you read. So I started a book club. We're called Boys, Bourbon, and Books. I was always jealous of like all my female friends had book club, right? And they get a bottle of wine and they read a book and they get together. They have a meal. It's like the social thing. It's not natural for a bunch of dudes to like, let's go have dinner and read a book together. Like they're, I, as a matter of fact, most of my friends make fun of me because I'm a reader. Like you read books? Like, well, yeah. And if you take me ice fishing, I'm bringing a book. So what we did was I took eight different men from different corners of my life who didn't know each other. And I just asked them, I said, hey, if, if I sent you a book and I gave you a date, would you come together and read this? And here's something I didn't know. Most people, when they read, don't have a structure for retaining the learning from the book they read. My kids saw me read a book and my son, when he was like in second grade said, dad, you're going to get in trouble. You're writing in your book. I said, no, no, no. It's okay. It's my book. I can do it. But you can't write in a book. I'm like, no, Charlie, you can write in a book if you own it. So then as he got older, he, he I heard him tell one of his friends, my dad murders books because I write so much in them. I'm reading them. The first two pages are blank. The inside cover is blank and the first page is blank. That is a treasure trove of you. So as you read the book, what I did for my book club was I framed it. It's called 4321. Four great quotes, three things you can do, two questions you have for other people, and one thing you've already done different. So as you're reading a book now, now while you're reading the book, you're thinking like, oh, these are great quotes. I don't want to forget these. So suddenly now in the front of your book, you're writing down like quote on page 5, 15, 21, 30. Suddenly you've got like 12 pages captured. Three things, again, that you're going to do different as a result of your learning. So now in the front of your book, you've got like eight, nine things. Like, oh, I want to try this. I want to do this. Especially if you're reading about other leaders and you're reading biographies and autobiographies of other people and you're learning their tips and tricks. And then two questions you have for other people. Now it's really interesting because you have to be vulnerable, right? You have to admit that you might not know something from the book. You have to admit, like, I might not have the courage to do something I read in the book. And then one thing I have already done different as a result of the learning. So this individual accountability you can put for yourself while you're reading is just a shift in your mindset, right? Now, if someone had taught you and I that when we were like sixth grade, seventh grade, hey, as you're reading this book, pull out four really cool things that you liked about it, right? So if you're reading about Harry Potter in eighth grade, right? Instead of being asked to break down the characters and talk about the conflict between Hermione and Harry, wouldn't it have been cool if you would have been like, here's my favorite Hagrid quote. Here's my favorite Dumbledore quote. Here's something I'm going to do different in my life as a result of my reading. Because fiction or nonfiction, there's a lot to learn. And people should learn to murder their books. They should be writing in them and highlighting them and, and, and you know putting in the front cover all kinds of stuff. And then what happens is people evolve to another level where like the back cover of the book is steps I'm going to take. They start putting in miniature strategic plans and tactics. Here's people I want to take very specific pages. Because a lot of leaders screw up and they buy a book and they hand it to people in their organization and say, read this. When it's like, no, I need you to read pages 46 to 51 and then send me an email of what you're going to do different after you read that. Because a lot of people see being handed a book like being handed a cinder block. 
to build people's tenacity and, and resilience into, into getting through a book, you have to bring purpose to it. Definitely. It's funny that you bring that up because I remember, you know, I kind of went through a phase where growing up, you don't like books because of the way that they're taught in school. You feel like it's more forced. And then you kind of get that realization of, oh, wow, I really love books. For me, I went into this overconsumption of information phase to where I thought, oh, if I read 24 books in a year, I'll be so much better off. And then I think, you know, the past couple of years, especially, I've realized, no, if I read one book in a year and actually made an intent to take action on that, I would be so much better off than reading 24 books without doing that. So I love that piece of advice that you shared. Now I definitely make a commitment to at least change one thing, whether that be a habit or an action that I can pull from that book. I love the structure that you that you shared. And learning, it doesn't have to be academic in a text. Structuring the end of the day to be reflective so that instead of getting together and having a gripe session about, oh, I had to do this today. Oh, I had to do that. And if you listen to my podcast, you'll hear about buffalo mindset versus cows and blah, blah, blah. If you structure your day so that the first thing we talk about when we get together is, you know, I love you. How was your day? Yada, yada. What's something you learned today? Paralympics, right? You, you, you're you like, oh, and I learned this. And then they say something they learned. And well, I learned, you know, I really, I learned a really interesting fact about a guy I work with. Suddenly learning doesn't have to be structured in a book or a podcast or, or, or a briefing. It's through observation. I mean, the stuff that goes through our eyes, down that nerve into our brain all day long, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. You could be watching someone prepare your lunch and realize like, I never thought my whole life of putting pickled carrots on a sandwich, right? That's something you learned. By the way, pickled carrots on sandwiches are very good. But my, my point is like, there's all these opportunities. And for you or the listeners, like as a father, we structured our dinner so that our kids had to answer three questions every night before they left the table. Tell us something you learned today. And they couldn't, because if you ask somebody, what'd you do at school or work? They're like, oh, it's horrible. But if you know at the end of the day, you're going to be held accountable to learning in your relationship or in your family or at work or wherever in life, you're going to be thinking throughout the day, like, oh, this is something I want to share, right? Because it's, yeah. it's curiosity. So you mentioned a little bit about your children, and I know that you have a great relationship with your family and your children. With what you kind of just mentioned, how you structure your your day at the dinner table, how has the response been with with your kids, with the way that you've you've asked them those questions? Well, having grown up with them, they know no different, right? When they see me reading a book and I say to them, hey, you should be reading a book, I'm usually met with a violent eye roll of some nature. But like with those questions, it's framed our core values as a family. So our core values as a family are learning, service, and fun. So my kids grew up being asked, tell me something you learned today. Then they were asked, tell me how you helped someone today. And then they were asked, tell us something funny that happened today. And, and our kids would race to get to the funny part. But all day long, they knew they would be accountable to that. If they were to say to us, well, nothing, I didn't learn anything at school or in life today, you can guarantee I jumped on that or my wife jumped on that like a hungry puma. Yeah. It was like, all right, here we go. This is the interdependent relationship between Lithuania and Latvia. I'm going to get a map. And they'd be like, okay, okay, okay. In math today, we, excellent. How'd you help someone? If they couldn't answer that question, they got to do the dishes. You're going to help us. And then if they didn't have anything fun, well, that was an immediate opportunity to have a dance party because we're going to have some fun today. There's no reason to go through life without having some fun. 
and I do the same thing in my workplace with my staff. Like, what'd you learn? You know, how are we helping people? Those are core values, stewardship, collaboration and leadership and learning, you know, those different types of pieces. Was that a structure that you kind of came up with or was that something that you learned through your work or, or how did you come up with that structure? It's something I came up with. My wife and I came up with. I taught high school and middle school. She's taught middle school her whole career. Being around teenagers, you really learn how to ask the right questions. You learn how to notice. I was an at-risk kid in middle school and high school. I lived through a lot of very interesting experiences. So when I became a teacher and I saw all these people who were very comfortable in their own skin, kid-wise, who had friends in all friendship groups, who were very humbly confident in who they were, didn't care what they wore to school, listened to the music they wanted to listen to. I was like, I need to know more about this person. So I would interview their parents and I would interview their parents for structural things like, what's your house like? What are your vacations like? And these themes emerged. And then as a dad, I was like, Megan, this is how we have to structure our family because here's all the evidence that this will work. And ironically, I have a daughter who today, she's walking out the front door. She had a flannel on, open flannel. She had a Smith's t-shirt on because she actually listens to the Smiths. She had her Burke clogs on and jeans rolled up. And she looked like someone I would have like gone up and asked, what's your world like? Because Grace is very beautiful and she's athletic and she could just very easily be, you know, any popular type of image she wanted to be. And she's going to be her. And that's kind of my like, okay, it worked. And what I learned was parents who put their family first, who ate together, who talked about things, who had no secrets. So when there was conflict, they worked out the conflict right in front of the kids. And these families also had high but realistic expectations. There was one family, five kids, all five of them valedictorian. But they had a rule, you had to have bees or better. And that was it. And then when I would meet with the kids, because I taught and coached half of them, they would say, no, my parents don't care if I'm valedictorian. I just want to be valedictorian. Like, really? <laughs> That's amazing. At our house, it's bees are best at school, be there for others, and be your best. And that's just from observing, right? So the whole intent here was how do you become a lifelong learner? You're just curious. like, And when you see weird stuff that is like impressive, you go ask. That's why I admire you. Well, thank you. I absolutely love that story because it really brings everything full circle. A, you know, how curiosity, if you hadn't had the curiosity to go up and ask and interview those those parents, which is, it, I just think that's hilarious and awesome. It's so cool how full circle that is. And now today you said your daughter has kind of become one of those kids that you would have gone up to. It's the same thing with employees and colleagues and friends. Like, People are unfortunately always in judgment mode, right? And my grandma Nitsky had this really great saying, which is, we don't judge, we understand. And that got instilled in me when I was a little person. To me, that's the definition of empathy. And great leaders who, who are leading through learning and are empathetic, well, if you're not judging and you're trying to understand, all you're doing is trying to figure everything out, right? And there's a lot of fuel for you in there, and that allows... That's what gets me jazzed up. And that's why I like doing my podcast is because every week I'm trying to figure out how to help people charge into the storms of life that they're facing 
like buffaloes do instead of running away from them like cows do. Those are all learned behaviors. If I've learned anything in life about leadership or others, there's only one person who is in control of your happiness. And it's certainly not anybody but you. Yeah, I love that. And you've actually touched a, a couple of times so far on the concept of being buffalo. And I know if you know Ted, you know you know the concept that you talk about. Could you explain this concept just really briefly for the people who might be listening that aren't super familiar so then we can kind of go and talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, the Native American bison or buffalo who range out west, west of the Mississippi, have a really wild um, behavior. So the ones that are actual truly native wild buffaloes, when they see a storm coming, um, they turn and they face it. So they watch it. And then as it gets closer, they start to move towards it. And then once they're in it, they run through it, which is like the greatest metaphor ever, right? So I've my whole life is about this. Everybody now, once they hear it, like, I've got more buffalo hats, T-shirts, stuffed animals, sculpture, statues. Uh, it's a, And I love it. Christmas, I've got like seven buffalo Christmas ornaments. Because as soon as you get your mindset into, you can either try to run into your problems and face them head on with optimism and perseverance and tenacity, or you can turn away from them and try to look at what was. So, you know, a buffalo looks west into the storm, a cow looks east into the old blue skies, and then stands there as they get stuck in it. And then what a cow does is they actually walk with the storm. So they stay in it longer. And, and you and I know so many people in life who come upon a problem and then they become a victim of their own problem. They don't want to face it or challenge it. And then they start walking with it, thinking they can outrun it or they can be, um, they can be pessimistic about it. And, oh, here we go again. Or they can try to, you know, prolong it by ignoring it. And then they're just miserable. And I don't get that. I've never gotten that. We have one life to live. We have all these opportunities. And as soon as I found that metaphor of charging into the problems that you're facing like a buffalo, I just grabbed onto it. So that my whole podcast is about that every week. Like, here's something you're facing. Here's a tool. And here's how we can charge into it. And that's our obligation as a leader. And yeah, people get anxious and depressed and mental health is really, really real. And some people hear what I'm saying is like, oh, that's toxically positive. No, it's not. Toxically positive is saying like good things happen for reasons, you know, bad things happen for reasons. And then they don't share like what to do or how to get out of it. Charging into the things that are bothering you, if anybody learns anything over time, especially as you age and you grow wisdom, which is again why I love your book, charge into it, address it, go. Or perseverate, fall into a vortex spiraling to hell of anxiety, and then trap yourself with weird narratives in your mind. It's really, really hard to do at first, but once you get used to running through the storm, you find yourself in sunshine and bright starry nights a lot faster than others. Yeah, and I'm a big analogy person, so I really like this. The analogy really plays well into how we respond to certain things that happen to us in our lives. Some people are raised with their environment to think like a buffalo, whereas for other people, thinking like a buffalo is, is just not how they were raised with animals that is an innate instinct. But with humans, we can overcome that. But the question is how? So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about how we can encourage more buffalo thinking in ourselves and in others when we're raised in an environment that encourages more of that cow thinking. So baby cows who are abandoned, who fall into herds of buffalo actually do learn to run into the storm. All behaviors are learned. 
And if you are in a cycle of pessimism and you are in that pit of pessimism, as I call it, what you have to do to climb out of there is find other examples. Now, no one in life needs someone standing over them like, you got this, Johnny. You can do this. Just get back up on your feet. No, someone actually needs to show me how that works, right? And that's the beauty of being a lifelong learner. I can learn that through observation. I can learn that through reading. I can learn that through watching and videos and movies, et cetera, and just some sort of an inspirational push. But at the end of the day, all of us have an obligation as leaders to recognize that we have influence over other people through our actions. And someone who's having a bad day or is in a bad moment or stuck in a bad cycle might just see how you respond to something and say, holy smoke, that's what I need to do. Which is why it's so important for us to walk through life the best version of ourselves in the service of others. Because if we can do that and we're making good decisions and we're showing people how to get through things or we're standing up for what we believe in, well, heck, I can do that. I didn't know that that was the case. In education, teachers know that kids who come from trauma, violent environments, poverty, there's only two ways out of that. Their own family or their own ideas through their education. And education doesn't mean K-12. It means their life education, right? So that's why like when a teacher is at school and if they have a child in their class who grew up in a violent environment and a teacher gets angry and like slams their hand on the desk, that student gets reinforced that anger, rage, and a temper is normal. But if they see a teacher who says in a moment where they should be getting angry, like, oh, listen, what a neat opportunity. Let's break down what just happened here. That level of disrespect shown towards me just now, that's going to hurt my heart for a while. And I'm going to think about that for a while. So how do they learn? It's by as many people as possible being Buffalo and making sure that they are doing what's best in those moments so that other people can see that. The number one thing is just to notice people. That's the fastest way to change somebody's direction in life. Generation Z is the greatest generation this planet has ever seen, but they lead all other generations in one thing. And it's very sad what it is. It's anxiety and suicide. And it's because they're not being noticed. And it's a simple thing to do. Recognition of how awesome somebody is to change their whole direction. Recognition of a talent, a gift, an attribute. Yeah. I know so often we underestimate our power that we have over other people. And so I really love that you you brought that to the table and just also kind of creating that culture and creating your environment in a way that will not only help you, but once you help you, then you can help other people. So in your work and in your life, how do you currently create that Buffalo culture and create a culture of recognition? So I'm very fortunate to work for an organization that that is actually internationally recognized for engagement. We are one of 39 employers in the world that Gallup said had the highest levels of engagement. And it's around a core belief system and an expectation around optimism and having hard conversations with people who don't want to and sometimes inviting people to leave. But you are what you model. And when people are having bad moments, great Buffalo leaders just listen. They're constantly asking, what can I do for you? What do you need from me in order to be successful? And of all the things in our culture, my organization, my life with my family, is that it's okay to fail wherever I am. Whether I was your soccer coach, whether I was your teacher, I embrace failure. I think it's awesome. And you know, I'll give you an example. When I coach soccer, 
I learned a tremendous amount from a little guy named Alex Poole, who was 12 years old. And oddly, in my soccer coaching career, I coached varsity, and then I shot down to U8. Because I, var- I coached varsity until I stopped teaching, and then when my children were born, I coached them. So there was a little guy on my team who I could just tell from his emotional state when he would come, very sensitive young man, great athlete, but I knew I wasn't getting the most out of him. So one day at practice, I kind of barked at him a little bit like, hey, Alex, I need you to get, I need you to space a bubble. And he just started crying. He walked out of the gym. It was winter uh, indoor soccer. And when I see tears in other people, uh, that that hits me in the heart, right? Because now like I've hurt them. So I go out in the hallway and I, I give him a bottle of water and I sit down next to him and I don't say anything for a couple minutes. And then I just, I just turned to him and I said, Alex, what do I need to do different in order for you to be the best soccer player out there? And that's a key piece for leaders that many leaders fail to recognize. They think everybody's there to do different things for them. And I knew from adolescent psychology and human psychology that the first thing you have to do if you want someone to change their behavior is to first change your own. So if I want people to be nicer to me, I have to be nicer to others. If I want people to be more giving to me, I have to be more giving to others. If I want people to be more empathetic towards me, get it? So little Alex turns to me and he says, well, every time you talk to me, I feel like you're yelling at me. And it, you know, I could have argued with him because I wasn't yelling at him. I'm just a loud person, right? So I said, well, what do I need to say so that you get it, right? Instead of me saying, you know, Alex, Alex, Alex. He said, well, just tell me to fix it. Okay. And then I'll know I just, I made a mistake and I just have to fix it. Christina, for the last 15 years, every time someone fails in front of me, whether that be on the soccer field, in life, or whatever, I say what I learned from little Alex. Hey, let's just fix this. Because what the heck good is it to look back and blame people, to, to you know force people into guilty reflections, make them feel worse than they already do? I know how you feel. I, I can imagine what that feels like, right? So let's fix it. Let's go. What do you need for me to fix this? So imagine a whole bunch of little boys and little girls out there playing soccer, screwing up, And then their teammates say, hey, just fix it. Let's go. Head up. So that's the kind of stuff that you can keep learning in life. And that's what in my organization, like, hey, we screwed up. Let's go. Let's move on. I was a 41-year-old adult male, and I had a little boy teach me a great life lesson. You listen to the best coaches in the world. You read about the best coaches in the world. You read about the best leaders in the world. They're always in the service of other people. Mm -hmm. They're tough. They have high expectations. Some people can't meet them. But- they're in the service of others. It's so cool that you learn that from a 12-year-old. And it really shows that once we're able to realize that learning isn't a zero-sum game, that we can learn from everybody around us. And it's not just the people above us who have all the answers. Once we realize that, the amount and the depth of the things that we're learning just expands. I'm so glad that you shared that story. I've loved all the value that you have been willing to share. And I also love finding ways to turn those valuable insights into real exciting change. At the end of each of my episodes, I like to create a challenge that you can actually give the people listening. So I know you mentioned the idea of structuring the way that you read and setting a record when you're reading. What is a challenge that you can give people listening that would help them either enjoy or experience the true nature of lifelong learning? This can be a habit or a specific action that people can actually do this week. I firmly believe that the two greatest qualities of the strongest leaders are number one, empathy, and number two, reflection. 
Okay, so I'm going to give everyone a reflective exercise. So tonight when you're laying in bed and your mind starts to work OT over time on like what you've got to do tomorrow or or if you go to bed a little anxious because you, so somebody you gave someone power over your narrative, I want you to ask a very simple question to yourself, which is this. What did I do well for others? And I want you to fall asleep thinking about all of the micro and macro ways in which you did things for other people. Because there's a whole lot that goes on in a day that allows you to frame that question. And it starts out with little things. So were you kind to people? Did you Are you a door opener or are you a door closer? Are you a person who is positively reinforcing the people around you? Are you recognizing the attributes and gifts and talents of the people? Are you lifting other people's day by just being kind? You know, whatever it is. When you go to bed at night, instead of worrying about tomorrow or regretting what happened today, you reframe it with a very simple question. What did I do well for others? And then right when you get up in the morning, what do I get to do for others today? Because most of us get up and the first thing somebody says, what are you doing today? Well, I have to shift it to get to. I get to go here. I get to do this. It's amazing how different that little word is in your ability to propel yourself forward. I learned to ask myself that question and my anxiety all but disappeared because instead of going to bed worrying about what I can't control tomorrow, I reflect upon what I got to do today. And when I get up in the morning, when I set my mind, mental mindset agenda, I say to myself, this is what I get to do today. You might not always wake up with a smile on your face, but you certainly will recognize that you're living on borrowed time. So you get to make the most of it. Wow. I am so excited to have that as a challenge because I can confidently say that I don't think I've ever asked myself that. That's one of the reasons why I absolutely love your Smart Thinking podcast. Speaking of your Smart Thinking podcast, I know we mentioned that as a really great resource for people to find you. Where else can people find you if they want to hear more of you? The podcast is where I put all my content. And then um, people can always reach out to me at CISA 6. You can just go on there and find my info. There's a whole page of just all the resources and tools. Everything I do is for free. Nothing is copyrighted. So yeah, you can go to our website. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. You just search for Ted Knightsky with the fourth behind there or else my dad will be like, oh, look, another person who thinks I'm you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being so willing to jump on here and have this conversation. It was such a pleasure to have you. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. Thank you. And good luck. Thank you. Thank you.